everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a chef for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. It's a beautiful day out. Before we start the show, we felt it was important to say something because, you know, the, the whole theme and subject matter of this show tends to be light. It's about food and dining out and chefs and, and you know, what's going on in that world. But there's a lot more serious stuff happening in our world, and we just want to say for the record that Black Lives Matter. And there are some people out there that say, well, uh, you know, why do you have to say that? And it's because not every aspect of our, not everybody in our society values black and brown lives the way they value white lives. And, uh, you know, it's, I've never been pulled over for driving while white, but I can imagine the terror of being pulled over, you know, for, you know, obeying the speed limit and driving while black and being um, harassed or, you know, or, or violated in, in some ways. And we're totally with the protesters. We're totally not with the rioters, but we are we're totally with the protesters and things have to change in this country. Everything from police training and the rules that guide them to how we all look at and treat each other. And maybe saying that on Foodie and the Beast isn't enough, but it's something. And we we stand with all our brothers and sisters out there for a fairer, more loving world. Did I say it? You Next? said it. Okay. Yes. I mean, I would have said it? it differently, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> That's that's because you would always say it differently. All right. Mm-hmm. So on today's show, we do have a great show today. Chanel Turner's back on with her. She's the founder of DC's award-winning Foudre Spirits Distillery. Uh, Foudre is great vodka in the coolest bottle you ever saw. I've been told that Foudre is kind of a play off the French for lightning. So she makes lightning in a bottle. She's a very prominent force in what is otherwise a male-dominated spirits industry and a and a white-dominated spirits industry. Uh, she's the first woman to own her own spirit and the first African-American woman uh, and the youngest to own and operate a vodka band, uh, brand, sorry. And she's a commanding voice for black distillers around the country and she's back with us and she's real cool. So I'm, we're glad to have her back on. Uh, we're trying to get uh, Jake Kenny on the phone. He's the manager at uh, Royal Bar. They're a Ramy nominee for the cocktail program of the year. A couple of tech problems there. We're gonna hope to have him on as well. We got a, a great local guest on. Uh, accomplished actor James Henry is a Rockville native, and we're not going to hold that against him because we're Kensingtonians. But he's a strong supporter of representing diversity in the community in his work. He lives his commitment by creating content across a lot of platforms, but especially TikTok, where he reaches only 3 million followers uh, and helps to push uh, uh, an initiative to include all different races in the programming as TikTok becomes an even more popular platform. He's got a Forbes feature coming out uh, uh, on him, uh, I guess it's this month. And he's going to join us later in the show. Coming up uh, as well, Benjamin Gray is general manager of the Belmore Inn and Spa. It's Delaware's top-rated hotel in Rehoboth. Uh, and, um, you know, the COVID crisis has created all kinds of chaos in the hospitality industry across the board. So he's going to really give us kind of the inside scoop on the constantly shifting state of trying to reopen for business in the face of the, uh, we call it the waxing and the waning of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And um, uh, clearly, it's a no-brainer that the pandemic has disrupted uh, food supply chains and diners' habits big time. 
but very inventive and smart purveyors of all stripes have pivoted in new ways to deliver the goods and make money. So D'Artagnan is a valued resource. Uh, they they, they uh, typically distribute free range of sustainable meats and poultries and games. And uh, we're going to have uh, Jamie Forsyth on to talk about how the company's not only pivoted during the COVID crisis to keep making money, but to stay with a sustainable business and a sustainable model that kept all 250 employees of theirs employed, which is really amazing. So Nick, why don't we go right to Chanel? Do you have anything you want to say or should we go right to Chanel? No, are you kidding? The show's almost over given how long your introduction was. I think I'm so interesting. I have to keep talking. Uh, Chanel, great having you on the show. Well, come on, Chanel, give us the 411 on Food Ray. Start. Chanel, I just want to say that, um, you know, you're really helping to move the needle on minority ownership in the spirits industry. And you and I, you've been on the show multiple times. You've been on the other show, Industry Night. I mean, we've done some really cool panel discussions yes. about, uh, you know, being a Black-owned business. And I, I'm so grateful for you coming on, given what's going on out there. Um, and I just want to, we want to get your experience. So can you share with us? Definitely. So, you know, I think David spoke about it a little bit earlier. I mean, we all know that the, the spirit industry is a male dominated industry. Um, and so being a, a woman in this industry uh, has its challenges, but being a person of color in this industry also has its challenges. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, and also being a person in the LGBTQ community. You can, I mean, you've got a lot has of its challenges. Lord, I have you got a lot of boxes. I got a, I mean, I, I, and I fall into each one. And and so I the only thing you don't have is a limp. <laughs> <laughs> David, really? No, yeah, but really. I, no, seriously, I fall into each category and I've, you know, have had experiences in each box. Um, being a woman in this industry, uh, the challenges I've faced just walking into a room being the only woman, um, uh, trying to get others to recognize that I have a great product um, that I would like to bring to market and, you know, how can you guys help me do that and have everybody in the room look around and say, what is this woman trying to do? This is not in her lane. You know, she needs to, you know, find a lane that she more fits in. Um, then on the other side of things, being a woman of color, um, you know, we're not seeing enough um, people of color being, uh, recognized in this industry. And so um, when I first entered this industry back in 2009, I only saw myself. And it, it just felt very weird and awkward looking around the room and not seeing anybody who looks like me, a person of color. Um, so I felt all alone. I felt defeated. I felt like I had no one I could lean on and, and talk to to help me get through the many roadblocks and red tape that is out there in this industry. Um, and as time you know progressed i started to learn about one onesies and twosies of other people of color in this industry and i thought it was very important that we all band and come together and show you know consumers um that people of color are actually in this industry owning products and not just consuming them so i started my festival which is the black online spirit festival which is a platform to highlight bring awareness to minorities in the wine spirits and beer uh, industry. So, um, and then in the other box, um, being, you know, um, in the LGBTQ community, you know, I honestly, that's a box that I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm very comfortable in my skin. So that's, that's not an issue, but that's a box that I have yet to really see how many people in this industry 
are of LGBTQ, you know, uh, I'm not really sure. And so I would like to see a lot more um, people who are um, in that space come out and, and show who they are, right? Um, mm -hmm. I have no problems doing it, but um, I haven't really seen um, many LGBTQ uh, persons in this wine and spirit industry. And so that's a box I'm looking to try to fill up a little bit because um, it's already challenging enough, you know, being in a world where, you know, a lot of people don't accept you for who you are, um, but then trying to, you know, do a, you know, run a business where literally it's white male dominated. It's, mm -hmm. it's, the challenges are endless um, uh, for uh, LGBTQ uh, persons. And well, so um, I would like to fill that box a little bit more. I would like to learn um, and educate myself a little bit more on, on the individuals that are like me in this industry and see how we can band together as well. well what, what's interesting is regardless of sexual orientation or race or gender, you have to know what you're doing if you want to be a distiller. Like Almost definitely. I mean, this is not, this is not something that you could just jump into and say, this is something I want to do. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot of uh, relationships. It takes a lot of knowledge in the spirit industry. You know, being in it for 10 years, I paid to learn a lot. And that's why for me, it's important to, um, pass on the knowledge that I've learned to those who are now entering in the industry so that they don't face a lot of the roadblocks and pitfalls that I faced um, in, a, in the first couple of years. You should of, start of a university. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think men mentorship is so important. And, you know, I think you really, uh, you said multiple things that are so important. Like when you started in 2009, you didn't see yourself out there, but now other people in the LBGTQ community, other people um, in the black community have somebody like you to look up to and right. say, help me, how did you do it? Do you know what right. I mean? Like you're able to show them a face maybe they weren't able to see before, which is so important. Yes. Um, so let me ask you, you know, we've talked to a couple of people over the past couple of weeks. I mean, there's a pandemic still going on. How did that affect your business? and everything that you're trying to do right now? So, uh, you know, fortunately enough, um, when the pandemic hit and everything started closing, um, liquor was that liquor stores weren't closing, right? They changed how they mm -hmm. did business, uh, but they weren't closing. And so we saw an influx of online sales. Um, people who did not want to come out um, mm -hmm. ordered their product online. And um, as, of, as of recently, we've become a Drixley partner, which allows um, those who live in the Maryland state, depending on zip code, if you want to follow the food tray, you can order it online and have it delivered to your door. Um, so right. this, is, this is front door uh, service here versus ordering it, ordering it online and waiting for it to be delivered by FedEx or whomever the carrier is. So we have mm -hmm. two different um, ways to get our product out to those. And we've seen online sales just spike. Um, and, and not just here in the DC, Maryland area, we're talking about you know, Texas, Florida, Chicago, I mean, all over. Um, and so um, so retail for us online has been a big thing um, during this pandemic. And so we're fortunate to be able to service our consumers um, through online sales at this moment. That's amazing. Were you already partnering with Drizzly prior mm -hmm. to the pandemic? Or were you like, because, you know, part of the issue for a lot of people in pivoting was like making it happen. You know, like all these restaurants who didn't have to right. go or delivery like they had to figure it out all of a sudden so were you already were you ahead of the game well we we had already um we were very aware of drizzly and and trying to find the right partnership with them and uh -huh. when 
pandemic kind of hit, we kind of forced that issue a little bit. And, um, you know, the, the retailer that is a Drixley partner, which is Mead's Liquor, um, they were the only one in the area, actually, the Drixley partner for Maryland, right? So we're like, okay, okay this retailer in us needs to become really, really good friends. And mm-hmm. um, so we formed a relationship with them, and, and that's how we got in. Um, but it, it, it was already in the works, but when the pandemic hit, it, it, we kind of really forced and pushed that issue. So That's amazing. Hey, Chanel, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we want to talk more about access to your product and, you know, just talk about what's going on today in and around the city and what the spirit industry looks like for you moving forward. Awesome. This is uh, David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Chanel Turner, who is the founder, the CEO, and the driving force behind Foodray uh, Spirits, uh, in particular, her vodka, which is not only great vodka, I'm online buying it right now, but it comes in a bottle that is an award. Don't buy, we have some, and it's no, delicious. no. I want to buy it. I want to support. I want to support Chanel. She doesn't give me as much trouble as you do, so because uh, you're a pain in the rear end. So, it works that way. <laughs> so, um, Chanel, what I mean when 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 COVID is finally conquered, what's gonna, <laughs> what's happening for you? Conquer COVID. So what we what's in the works for us right now is we're preparing for RTD, um, which is ready to drink cocktails. Uh, we have an influx of uh, people wanting to get our signature cocktails ready to serve, ready to drink. Um, and so we're looking to spin up that project um, as soon as COVID uh, clears. Um, I think that's going to offer our consumers who a lot of our cocktails are craft cocktails. And so it's going to give them the opportunity to get our cocktail ready to drink without having to buy all the added mixers needed to create um, some of our delicious cocktails. So we're you know, there is a rumor out there that Donald Trump has been telling people to inject food, you know, to kill COVID. So maybe that'll help business. What's for that rumor? I'm like, that might increase sales. I just need him to say that one time. <laughs> you know, no, you, you, they, it won't matter because nobody believes him. Okay. <laughs> Are you having your event this year? We uh-huh. need it this year, you know? Yeah. And so 
um, it's really it's really going to be dependent on the climate of Washington D.C. If there are no large gatherings being allowed, obviously it can't happen, right? Obviously, yeah. My- I, think, I think you and I should go offline if there are no large events happening, right? Because right. I mean, how many people come? Like it's like 2,500, 2,500. That's what I thought. Like it was, it's high. So you and I are going to go offline. We'll get Adra on the phone. I have ideas. So okay. we'll figure. I about think you time. should say the, the event is happening. Just, it'll be different. We can talk okay. about what that looks like. Okay. Oh, definitely. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm ready for it. I would love to make it happen. And so let's, let's take that conversation offline. I, I'm excited. All right. Chanel, tell everybody where they can find you online, on Instagram. Oh, and um, where we can product so um on all social media platforms it's just at fudre vodka f-o-u-d-r-e vodka and if you want to learn about the black on water spirit festival it's just bowlsfest.com all right thanks babe so good to see you thanks Nikki. love you guys i miss love you chanel you all right soon. talk to you soon bye okay all right so david let's get actor james henry on the line james henry so, Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Originally, you were joining us because this huge event was happening next week called reInvent. But that yeah. event is now pushed another week. But we wanted to have you on anyway, because you're doing so many things. Like you are at the forefront of getting into acting and using social media as a way to elevate your, your business. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how you started all that. Well, um. I actually started on Vine when Vine first came out, I think in 2014. And then once Vine fell apart, I think I learned then not to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, you were so then, Viner. You're a former Viner. Yeah. And then I, so I sort of tried to find where I wanted to go next, where was my next niche, because not every platform was video creating platform. And mm-hmm. as an actor, I always would love to showcase what I'm capable of, tell fun stories. I, I have always been in love with stories since I was a young kid. So that was something that kind of came second nature. Um, and then, you know, I continuously grew my platform when TikTok was musically, I was on there, I was on YouTube, I still am on YouTube and Snapchat. But um, that's when I think, you know, TikTok was a platform that really, I was able to find my niche and find the, the community of people that wanted to see my sort of content. And it reached a global scale where I have a large following like across the, the, the world, especially in Asia, in the uh, Middle East, in Europe, and, you know, in the US too. So how did you decide what kind of content you wanted to put on there? Do you know what I mean? Like you're an actor, you want to, you want to do bigger things. uh, But how did you decide like how you wanted, how you wanted your contact to portray yourself? So I first started out in comedy. I mean, everyone loves to laugh. And for some reason, I don't know how I found myself funny, but I just was able to, I guess, showcase what I found funny about a certain moment and emphasize that. And that sort of resonated with everybody because I think we all go through certain moments or experiences that, you know, maybe you can't really explain to one, like to another person, but until you mm-hmm. the show what happened, then there, then you kind of have a connection there. And well, if, if you can find humor these days, you're doing a good job. Oh, definitely. Definitely more difficult nowadays. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that, that kind of stuck with me. And I mean, I love doing drama. I love doing all different types of content but comedy is what really resonates well with people and um i've gotten so many great responses from people who say that you know even after the worst day they could possibly have had that they can come to my page laugh and disconnect from whatever that they were going well can we take you to some of your work that's uh, hits an even broader audience than tiktok because 
you, you've been on the Ellen DeGeneres show. You've worked with Mariah Carey, yeah. Kelly Clarkson, Marshmello. Um, it, you know, you're, you're working on a script for Netflix. You've been in a Disney pilot. How do you transition? How do you do that from Richard Montgomery High School, which <laughs> is the second best high school in Montgomery County? <laughs> first of all, I think it's the first. But no, anyway. No, I think it's but that's funny. <laughs> you were funny just then. <laughs> um, you know, I guess starting out in social media, I, my initial response was to always be able to transition over to film and television. I've known so many people that have been able to create a, con create a career from their content and then to be able to get discovered by casting directors or producers. I mean, is that what happened? You were on TikTok and somebody saw you and said, let's get him? Yeah, um, I, was, I was actually contacted at first for the Disney pilot for, by the former president of Disney, um, Dean Valentine, at that time. And what a compliment. Like, yeah, and I was like, I, you know, he said he, he loves my work and he wanted me to be the lead in this pilot. And I was like, don't. You know, you don't even have to say any more. I'm there. Let's do it. I'll pay you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that sort of gave me the the drive to continue because, um, you know, just to see that what why I started was actually unfolding gave me more reason to continue sure. to create and to, I guess, vamp up what I was creating, too, and to make it more, I guess, pro professional. I rented sets to create videos. I've done, you know, it's we've I've definitely gone the extra mile. So were you doing theater at Richard Montgomery or was this a, a post high school thing? Um, I did one play. I was in a play in my senior year. And, and then I was like, okay, you know, you know, I'm, I'm out. But I actually, because I think during high school, it was, you know, the um, entertainment business, you always hear about how difficult it is to break into. So that was one thing that always stuck into the back of my head. I was like, okay, well, you know, if it's so hard, I'm going to just go into politics. I actually went to school for, um, I guess, political science. I wanted to become a mayor and then become like a senator. So it, it, I had this plan, but I realized that I wasn't truly going to be happy doing that and that I shouldn't be doing it for the money. And that in time, you will, you know, the money will come along with it, whatever you're passionate about. So I decided just to go full throttle into this, you know, career, into this business. And um, over years, I was able to finally, you know, sustain myself and to, um, you know, be well off. And I'm really grateful for it. That's a great success story. Can we talk a little bit about the event that's been, that's been postponed? It was a fundraiser. It is a fundraiser for DC Central Kitchen. How did all that come about? Yes. Um, a friend of mine, actually, I think she's the host of that segment. That's going to be going on on the, the panel on the 23rd is what I'm going to be speaking. And mm -hmm. I'm, basically, I'm going to just be there to really uh, discuss the importance of uh, digital and video content for building a brand and community. Um, the proceeds uh, from this will be going and donated to DC Central Kitchen. Which is um, a charity that we really, you know, we've done a lot of work with. They do amazing things uh, for uh, the community and for the DC area in general. When you talk about your content, how do you, like, do you work with partners? Do you do all the writing? Do you do all the filming? Like, I watched your TikToks. <laughs> I checked you out on YouTube. I mean, I see all that you're doing, but, like, this is a lot of work. So how are you doing that? And do you have help doing that? Do you have a team? So I'm actually wearing many hats when I film. Um, I'm the director. I'm the talent. I'm the um, editor. I'm the lighting guy, the sound guy. So it's a lot going on in one day. And that's why um, it takes... It takes a long time to film a good amount of content. Um, but typically, I have a core group of friends who are also creators that I was able to, um, you know, really connect with. And we uh, meet up, I, I think, about three times a week, if not more or less, to um, help eat one another out. Because we know how difficult it can be to have to hit record and go, go in place. And, you know, it's, it's just so many things that you have to do. 
So um, I was able to, I guess, you know, create a good niche of people that I know I could create with. So you probably see them in my content too. Well, I'm just sort of curious, in this time of the pandemic, did that sort of change what you were <laughs> oh, doing? Definitely, like, definitely. Oh, but I've got other things to talk about now. Like, did it change how you how you communicated with people? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of changed my narrative of creating comedy content because I always, I still feel like even in a time of, you know, uh, not knowing what's going to happen next, we also need to laugh at something and to feel like mm -hmm. things are still okay. So I haven't given up my comedy on that end, but I've definitely, I think, sort of pulled back a, a little bit because I don't want to, I don't think it's the right time to go full force and say, let's not focus on what's going on in, in the world. Let's focus on me. And I didn't want that shift to be, uh, you know, I, I guess about me. I wanted to either help or sit back, you know, for like a couple of weeks and let what needs to happen, you know, happen. And I've definitely spoke out about what's going on in Black Lives Matter um, about this because I, I have a platform and I feel like if you have a platform, you kind of have a responsibility to use your voice for good. Well, I, I love that. And is there, um, given what's happening and our earlier conversation with Chanel, I mean, how are you including the Black Lives Matter messaging in your as your brand, like since you were always doing comedy and it was kind of funny, how do you how do you add a more serious context? How do you balance it? That's hard. Yeah, um, I typically, you know, try to have specific videos be very direct in, into the camera and personal, not so skit based. I mean, I'm not going to create a skit about Black Lives Matter because it's right. like you know it's a double negative there. So um, I, you know, I definitely try to sit down and I talk to them. I go live on TikTok and that's where I'm able to reach people who are actively in the chat right now and talk to them about what's going on because so many people don't really or may not understand, but they see it and mm -hmm. they care and they don't, you know, know what many people have been through, but they're here to stand with us. And I think that is more than you know enough. And that's creating a good amount of change. You know, that's really I your challenge because when you hear people respond, oh, well, all lives matter, they mean it, you know, lovingly, but they don't understand how terrible know, this is. The, well, the difference. Yeah. The difference between, you know, when you're when you're living a, a, a black life and living a white life, privileged or not privileged, um, uh, you know, you're you're it's a totally different context. So good for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. I saw a post that someone um, actually posted on TikTok and they were like um, it, they, they were kind of doing the skit about a, a house being on, on fire and they're, I'm trying to get people to get the house on right. fire. They're like, I oh, well, that. you know, what about my house? And they're like, your house isn't on fire. Their house, like my house matters too. Yeah, yeah, but your house isn't on fire. You know what? That was I think Anderson Cooper did that on CNN too. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Right. It's great. Such a good analogy. Hey, so listen, congratulations on all your success. Keep in touch with us. Let us know what you're doing. I mean, don't get too famous that you can't come back <laughs> chat with us. Um, uh, but your work is amazing, and everybody should check out the reinvent event. We have it posted on the list. Are you on it? Dot com. Um, James, thanks for joining us this morning. This is David and Nikki. Yes. Baby and in the yes. Oh, I hope I can come in, you know, when all this quarantining and pandemic is over, come in and be there, you know, with you guys. We'll give, you an, honor, we'll give you an honorary degree from Walter Johnson High School. Oh, look at the time. I think we got it. <laughs> this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And now we're going to talk about one of my favorite places, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware where Nikki and David sealed the deal, where we decided to get married. Where were we? Mm. Blue Moon. 
La La we Land, at, somewhere. No, we were at Blue Moon. Oh, no, we were at La La Land, but we started at Blue Moon. You know, whatever. We've got Ben Gray on the phone with us. Ben is the general manager of the fabulous, truly fabulous, Belmore Inn and Spa, which happens to be Delaware's top-rated hotel. It's in Rehoboth. But he's also chairman of Southern Delaware Tourism, and he's on Governor Carney's task force for reopening hotels in Delaware, which they did. The Belmore opened on June 1. And we, we, we wanted him on because we wanted to talk about with, with the constantly shifting sands under people's feet because of COVID, what are the challenges and what are the rewards, what's happening uh, on that scene down in Rehoboth. So Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. So we'd like to back up a little bit and sort of talk about how the hotel and the tourism board sort of like put their heads together and when COVID was like happening, like, you know, April, and how you guys sort of looked forward to what you were going to do. We're going to have yeah. to do too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Thank you for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be with you. So mm -hmm. as, as David said, yeah, I'm the, the chairman of Southern Delaware Tourism. I'm also a board member for Rehoboth Dewey Chamber of Commerce and GM of the Belmore Inn and Spa. So you have nothing is, to do. Yes, nothing to do. Plus I have uh, three kids under the age of six as well. So uh, <laughs> we've been there. Uh, yeah. No, we not in there with a pandemic. No, 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 not with a pandemic. You're right. I'm not, I'm not trying to one up you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun and interesting time, I can tell you. Uh, yes, so plenty to do, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, this is unprecedented, as you as you know. And with Southern Delaware tourism in Sussex County, everyone wants to come to the beach, right? And this happened right before the start of our season. So we really had to take a hard look and a thousand foot view and try to specify it for all the local businesses in the area, because those are the ones that are hurting the most, not to mention those that have been affected by the virus with their health and also in the hospitals. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to form a tourism task force. And that was actually put in place by the governor. They went to the Delaware State Tourism Office and said, hey, pick some industry leaders from all over the state, get them together for weekly meetings, and let's come up with a plan. So one of the things that we did from Delaware Tourism and with Southern Delaware Tourism and also with some hoteliers is we formed a group of hoteliers and tourism industry leaders. There was a group of about seven of us that were responsible for reshaping the tourism atmosphere for Delaware and for Rehoboth. And as I'm sure you both know, Rehoboth Beach is known as the nation's summer capital. We also have the cleanest beaches in the nation. This is a prime destination for our tourism industry. And the mm -hmm. fact that it was in jeopardy meant that we had to act and we had to act quick. And there was no playbook for this. This has never right. happened before. So we were in the middle of a pandemic with our tourism industry in supreme jeopardy. And then all of a sudden in, uh, in April, right before the start of the season, all the short-term rentals and hotels were shut down, which meant that no one could come here and stay. Plus, we had out-of-state visitation limited to a 14-day quarantine. So it was, a, it was definitely a tough situation. But to mm -hmm. answer your question directly, without the help of the Delaware Hotel and Lodging Association, the Delaware Tourism Office, and the Chambers of Commerce here for the state of Delaware, we weren't able to come up with a plan that we have in place today. And it was a collaborative effort between all of those organizations to make sure that we were able to operate safely and effectively for this season. Well, Ben, I quick mean, question. Not... Well, Nick, yeah. let me just ask this because um, Nick's sister has a place in Fenwick. So they're in Delaware. Yeah. How did the state go about enforcing the 14 day quarantine? If people came in from Philly or from DC or wherever, how, how did that happen? You know, it was tough. Uh, a lot of people 
had to self-enforce. Uh, and we had a, they had a lot of calls from what I can tell from my conversations with the chief of police. They had a lot of people that called in and said that their neighbors were renting their homes illegally or that there was a hotel that was open accepting people with out-of-state license plates. So there was a lot of self-policing from Delaware residents that really were were kind of, they, they used themselves as the police. But did it work? some checkpoints that were created throughout the state. There was actually one right next to the entrance to downtown Rehoboth Beach where police were stopping people. But it's difficult, right? Because you can't tell people that they can't travel through the state and you can't follow them around to put a tracer on right. them so they stay inside for 14 days. So it was a lot of self-policing. It was more mm -hmm. of a deterrent than anything, which is why I think that our governor opted to shut down hotels altogether to make sure that people didn't have a place to stay while they were here during this time. Right. Well, what well, was it? Well, let me ask just what was the net result? Because uh, what were the, you know, the number of COVID cases and deaths in Rehoboth against the rest of, uh, or in Delaware against the rest of the country? You know, I think that what the governor had to do was because the, the cases did continue to rise, uh, especially in our county, in Sussex County, it was, it was known as a hot spot here for, for quite some time. They did continue to rise for quite a while. And I think that that was one of the reasons why our governor decided that it was in everyone's best interest from a health perspective to limit the amount of travel that was coming to the state of Delaware because we were considered a hotspot and we did have members of the CDC deployed here to help with advanced testing and more rapid testing to make sure people were identified with the virus and then quarantined subsequently after. And so now that we're here and you guys are open, what, what are the protocols that are put in place to maintain safety so that people feel safe coming and you're, you know, the people working at the hotels, the people working on the boardwalk, like there's a lot. I mean, we're hoping it's fabulous. We love it, but there's a lot there. So what kind of, of rules were put in place to make sure people stay safe? You know, recent estimates estimated that Rehoboth Beach's population increased by a million people during the summertime. So you're absolutely wow. right. There are a lot of people that come to Rehoboth Beach and uh, in, in the wintertime, not so much, but certainly during the summer, also known as the nation's summer capital. And, you know, we have over 9.2 million visitors that come to Southern Delaware, the state during that time. So mm -hmm. it is difficult to police, especially by increasing social distancing. I can tell you from a city level, if you come to downtown Rehoboth today, they, there are blocked off parking spaces. There are barricades that have acted to block off those parking spaces to increase social distancing on the sidewalk and on the street. There is a pedestrian walkway so that people have more space except for the sidewalk to spread out. Uh, which is, is helped certainly with social distancing. I know that the businesses are ready, willing, and able to accept these individuals here. They're, they're currently operating at 30% capacity. That is supposed to change to 60% capacity with reservations only for dining establishments and for retail. That mm -hmm. is going to go into effect in about nine days on June 15th when we hit phase two. We are currently in phase one. What that means for hotels and the hotel experience is that we are limited to 30% occupancy in our public spaces, but we can still sell out the hotel. For our hotel, the Belmore Inn and Spa, uh, right in the heart of Rehoboth, we have taken measures to enforce safety for our guests and for our staff. All of our staff are subject to temperature checks as soon as they walk into the building. We have thermometers at every single time clock. We have a list of questions that we ask them, and if they pass the health screening, then they're able to go to work. That doesn't mean that they can go to work in their normal uniform because now they have to wear a face mask every day. They also have to wear gloves if you're in housekeeping. We have hand sanitizer. I've never seen so much hand sanitizer in my life. Uh, right. I have 
eight you know, gallons. The word on the street is that Ben Gray has very clean hands. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, very the Belmore Hotel. The Belmore Hotel has a lot of sanitizer. <laughs> A lot of hand sanitizer at every single elevator landing, right at the front desk. We've also uh, mobilized mobile check-in so that people have a lot more uh, feasibility when they come to check-in. There's a lot more flexibility throughout the hotel. We have social distancing stickers to indicate where, where is six feet apart. The state government has mandated that pools are restricted to 30% occupancy, but we've been able to police that. And we've been able to do a very good job with that. Those restrictions are going to be lifted again in about nine days. And we've seen occupancy increase because of that. And okay. all of our protocols are listed on our on our website. We've we've actually changed to an in-room dining menu for breakfast to limit social distancing as, as a buffet, because it used to be a full buffet with an omelet chef every morning. That was all included in your been there. It was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you know what what you're used to, and breakfast is a huge part of that Belmore experience. So, what we had to do is kind of rethink this wheel, and we had to uh, develop a plan, an alternative plan, to put the food in front of the guest in a safe way. So, what we started doing is an in-room dining menu. You still get the fresh food delivered right to your guest room door, and our guests have responded very positively to that. Well, that's great. I mean, I think as long as everybody's on the same page, right? Like, you know, it's it, we're, all, we're all doing this for a reason. So if everybody's on the same page and, and, and can follow the guidelines that you guys work so hard to put together, because I'm sure bringing all the different components of the tourism industry, especially for Rehoboth, with people being afraid that you're not going to open on time or, or open well, must have been like herding cats, you know, getting everybody's priorities taken care of. Um, so when phase uh, two happens, what does that look like for the hotel exactly? So for us, for public spaces where our occupancy is doubled. So we're allowed to go from 30% in public spaces, which is our meeting gatherings and in our breakfast rooms and in our libraries throughout the hotel. We're allowed to go to 60% capacity in phase two. The mm -hmm. in-room dining because of that will likely change to a full service menu because it was a limited in-room dining menu. So we're gonna have social distancing practice throughout our breakfast area now. We also have a beautiful garden courtyard. We're one of the only hotels in, on the East Coast that has a beautiful garden courtyard encapsulated in our hotel. So that's a perfect place to social distance for our guests, especially when it's a nice 75 degree and sunny morning. You can go out there with your cup of coffee and have your freshly made omelet in the middle of a garden oasis in downtown Rehoboth Beach. So mm -hmm. the occupancy restrictions are lifted. The pool capacity has increased as well. Uh, over 30% occupancy is now allowed during phase two. Face masks are still required. Uh, but the social distancing measures are starting to be lifted a little bit, although they do absolutely encourage at least six feet in between guests. The fitness center restrictions are also uh, a lot more lenient in phase two. So we're allowed to operate kind of more toward a level of normalcy. That mm -hmm. for the state of Delaware is expected to last a minimum of two weeks. So that puts us right around July 1st to start to get back to the new normal, which is perfect for us because it's right before the 4th of July. Sure. Well, reserve a wing for us, please. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, guys. Yeah, come on down. You know, the, these fresh omelets are hard to beat. Well, the fresh baked pastries every morning. That's a great way to start your day. All right. I'm drooling now, but I have I have one question for you for, for you know, for people who are not respecting the restrictions, either on the boardwalk or in the hotel. What's the downside? Are you asking? I mean, would you ask a guest to actually leave if they say I'm not wearing a mask? 
You know, that's, that's a great question. We've had guests ask that as well. It is currently Delaware state law that masks are required in public places. That includes hotel lobbies and hotel public spaces. So that's our fallback, right? We're allowed to, to now fall back to the state of Delaware that this is not a Belmore rule. This is a state of Delaware rule. There's a difference, a big difference between required and recommended. And for the state, it is required. So that means that if a guest were to come to the hotel and say that they refuse to wear a mask because of the safety that that uh, jeopardizes for our guests and also for our staff members that they're interacting with on a daily basis, we would not be able to provide them service Got for it. that reason. Ultimately, it's our goal to ensure the safety of our guests and of my staff. And if someone is willing to jeopardize that for not wearing a mask, then yes, we would have to, at this point, refuse service. Well, the only thing I'm trying well, to imagine David, is... David, it's time for a break. Oh, well, all right. You're not ben. So, Ben, I want to thank you. <laughs> so much for uh, joining us this morning. And we're thrilled that Rehoboth is careening towards phase two and hopefully, uh, you know, fully open sooner rather than later. Um, so thank you so much for the information. Can you just give us the um, website, please, for the Hotel of the Belmore? Yes, absolutely. So it's www.thebelmore.com. And as David said, we are the number one hotel in Rehoboth. Come check us out. I just want one right. favor. Will you buy me a large Thrasher's and stick it behind the reception desk? We'll be down for it. Yes, okay. with some Dolly's Taffy as well. All right. Okay. Why Thanks, not? Ben. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. When we come back, we'll be talking to Jamie Forsyth. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. You know, it is certainly a no-brainer that the pandemic has screwed up the food supply chain, diners' habits, the way we get our food to go or delivered and all that. And some some purveyors have been able to pivot and, and react well and survive and even prosper. Some haven't. But uh, D'Artagnan certainly has. And uh, Jamie Forsyth from D'Artagnan is on with us. Uh, they've pivoted in a, in, a, in a really successful way to combat food disruption and business disruption. Jamie, welcome to the, to the show. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Great. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great having you. Um, tell us a little bit, for, you know, listen, we know the name of the company because it's, you know, it, it's so revered in the restaurant industry, but give us a little background on the, on the company. Okay, so uh, the company was founded uh, 35 years ago, actually three weeks before the outbreak, we, we celebrated our 35th uh, birthday. Happy anniversary. Um, by, yeah, thank you. Um, by Ariane Dagan, who is the uh, daughter of a um, uh, recently deceased but very highly revered uh, Michelin-starred uh, chef in Gascony, France. Okay. Um, she came to the U.S. to study in, uh, in the mid-80s. Um, and, uh, you know, had been connected to different chefs in, in the New York area through her father, um, and, uh, you know, kind of saw an opportunity at the time there, there, there really wasn't an option outside of commodity, um, for a lot of ingredients that the, the chefs wanted. They wanted things that were more similar to what they had, um, uh, been accustomed to in France, you know, chickens that were raised on small farms. Um, you know, ducks that uh, were not commodity, things like that. So <clears throat> that's where the company started, um, relatively small. And over 35 years, we've built ourselves into um, uh, a, a kind of all um, meat game and poultry, which is humanely and sustainably raised. And we work directly um, with our farms, in some cases, individual farms, but more often than not, as we've grown, um, you know, farming cooperatives, um, you know, to be able to handle the scale. Well, Jamie, and, well, uh, just quick question, uh, because 
what I read in all the materials you sent is that you've managed to keep your farmers in business, you know, your supply chain intact and all your employees, 250 people employed. What did you do that others may not have been able to accomplish? Because that's, that's a big Well, let deal. him answer the question. Huh. <laughs> well, I, no, I mean, it's, it's something that we're, we're extremely proud of. Um, uh, we're, I, I feel like we're working more now than we, we were uh, before even uh, losing you know, 75 to 80% of our, of our restaurants. Um, you know, we've always had, well, not always, like for the last 10 years, we've had a, a, a small and growing um, e-commerce presence as, as a way to, um, you know, get our product to the home consumers who try it at their favorite restaurants and, and want it at home. It's, and it's also good for the farmers. You know, we have, um, peaks and valleys with with certain products you know and and the farmers have to forecast for the year um it takes a certain amount of time to raise an animal so um you know e-commerce allows us to give them another place where they can you know sell that product in another audience um so we were able to uh on the e-commerce side as people were sheltering in place obviously um that that became very big and most of that is serviced via fedex um, in, in this region, we were able to coordinate, um, you know, using our restaurant trucks, we've been able to coordinate home delivery um, on the weekends to, to, to certain areas. Um, we also saw a huge spike in our retail. And that's where I think we really made an impressive pivot um, was that there were certain items that we had that were packaged specifically um, and marketed specifically for restaurants. And because we work so closely with um, our farms, and in the case of Green Circle Chicken, we actually, you know, the, the slaughtering and the processing of the birds actually takes place on the farm. Um, mm -hmm. So we were able to go out there and say, look, all the restaurants just went away. This program has historically been for restaurants. Um, we, we need to pivot quickly. So we got them the equipment to package for retail. Um, Ariane went out and showed them how we wanted things cut, how they needed to be cut for the retail consumers. Um, and we very quickly turned that program around. And, and keep in mind, they had been in in process uh, you know for the season going into the busy spring season so they had you know multiple um, groups of birds um, at, at different ages that would have had nowhere to go and, and I think this is something you've seen in, in some of the bigger supply chains where there's not that kind of flexibility um, some of those animals uh, have had to be euthanized. Well that's I mean what's so interesting about what you've been able to do because what we been hearing, we did some other interviews with uh, about the disruption of the food supply. You know, a couple, you know, like a month and a half ago, there were, you know, long lines of people. I mean, they're still there, but, you know, photos of long lines and video of people waiting at, at, at uh, food banks. And then you would see these farmers, you know, plowing over their celery because they had no way of getting the packaging. I mean, it seems so simple and you guys were able to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was part of the problem because they're used to sending it out differently. Isn't, was that the disruption key disruption point? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if, if you think about it with, you know, the, the larger, you know, quote unquote commodity food supply chain, I mean, the bigger the ship, the harder it is to steer. Right. I, I mean, it, we, we were able to be nimble um, because we do have those direct relationships um, with the farms and, and we've got a lot more control over our, our own, destiny in our own supply chain. I, I think when you're in the larger network, yeah, there is some rigidity there. You are, um, if, if your distribution network is geared towards um, food service and institutions, schools, for example, it's packaged a certain way. Um, you know, it goes through different 
clearing houses a certain way and to just be able to turn it on a dime unfortunately um you know wasn't they're not able to keep up with with, with what the farmers are producing i mean we're seeing right now um and, and the situation's improved a little bit i think for cattle farmers um but you know we're seeing in in, in the u.s record low prices for live uh, head of cattle so the, the ranchers aren't getting paid um well enough to really make a living and yet we've got record high prices at the grocery store what's what's right. the disconnect is that we, we've consolidated the, the bulk of the food supply chain into um you know networks that are con controlled by a few entities and and what they've done along the way is closed a lot of processing facilities um so when you have a situation like covid and uh, you know a plant shuts down that plant could be responsible for 15 to 20 percent of production um, you know, all the small abattoirs that, that, that you know, two generations ago existed, um, that, you know, a lot of that's gone away. Even the smaller processing plants have been shut down to consolidate into these large plants. Um, so, it, again, it, it's, it's a scale matter. It's a, it, it's a, the big ship can't turn quickly when it sees the iceberg. And, and I think it should be a, a wake-up call for everybody to, to, you know, to look and understand um, how this works. Um, because it's, well, so, it's got a huge effect. So now, right, I mean, uh, right, and you guys have really been able to get product to the consumer. So how do people order through you now? How do people access, because your products are really top of the line. So how do people access that? Um, well, the, the easiest way for home consumers is on the website, um, www.dartanian.com. Um, mm -hmm. It's a hard spelling because that's, a, that's, not, an, that's not an English uh, name, but um, mm -hmm. that that would be the easiest way. Now, here in, in the DMV, like I said, we are doing home delivery uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's been an, another way for us to um, you know keep the guys on the trucks as busy as possible since a lot of our business has gone away with the restaurants. Um, the best way to do that is just to contact us directly at the BC sales at um, darktanyon.com, and Excellent. we can direct you to your your landing page. All right, that is great, Jamie. I wanna thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know that this is a much larger conversation and we'd love to bring you back to have it, um, especially sure. as hopefully COVID, you know, sort of disappears hopefully someday and what that, you know, what that looks like for everybody. So we wanna thank everybody for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast. Um, there is so much going on out there between a pandemic and um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And we ask that everybody be to do some really important work. Everybody needs to learn, everybody needs to support, and everybody needs to donate. So do your homework, do your research. You can go to the list com. We have incredible resources there for you. Um, and uh, do your best to be a good member of, of this community. So we wanna thank you again. We had amazing guests today. We'll see you next week.